How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. We are finally on to season two of the original run of the House of Horror. And today's episode is coming to you from October 9th, 2019. We're diving headfirst into the world of the supernatural with my friend J.D. Ryder. And as always, we're going to keep this intro short and sweet. If you guys haven't subscribed to the show yet, make sure you go ahead and do that and leave me a rating and review. And if you're not subscribed over on my YouTube channel yet, you gotta make sure you do that as well. I'm having 31 videos come out this October just in time for the spoof season, so you definitely don't want to miss it. Without further ado, we're going to get right to the show, so as always, take care and stay spooky. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the House of Horror podcast. As you know, on this show, I like to focus on all aspects of horror. Typically, yes, we talk about films, novels, and other things of that nature, but today, we're once again going to be dabbling into the horrors of real life. I sat down with my pal Jared, or as he's known on the internet, J.D. Ryder, to discuss some supernatural experiences and unexplained phenomena that he's encountered in his own life. We chat about everything from ghosts, demons, to UFOs, and even Bigfoot and the Mothman. Besides that, we discuss our thoughts on the haunting of Hill House and the remake of Pet Cemetery, as well as his experience transforming his first car into an almost exact replica of Kit from Knight Rider. You're going to get all that and more on this exciting episode of the House of Horror. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when new episodes of the House of Horror come out. And if you smash that like button and share it with a friend, it would be greatly appreciated. It really helps my channel out a lot. If sometime down the road you happen to be listening to this on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours, please make sure that you subscribe to the show and leave me a rating and review. I would really appreciate it a lot. Without further ado, enjoy the adventures into the unknown with myself and J.D. Ryder. So I'm sitting here with my pal Jared, not Dynamite Jared from Two Nerds of Podcast, but my other friend Jared. Do you have a nickname people call you? Or no, this is just, just Jared. No Juicy no juicy Jared, Jumping Jared, nothing? Um. Not really. People just usually call me Jared. <laughs> just Jared? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So we, we were talking the other day, and you told me that you actually finished The Haunting of Hill House, finally. Um, so what kind of did you think of the whole series, and what did you think of the ending? I heard that you weren't the biggest fan of how it wrapped up, but... Well, I liked the series, uh, the first season overall, because I felt like it did a good job with, you know, building up the characters and the story overall, but... I felt like at the end, they kind of made the house seem less malevolent or evil. Like, leading up to that point, I thought that the entity or entities that were haunting Hill House might, you know, like, be revealed as to who their true identities were by the end of the, like, season. Mm-hmm. And I felt like at the end that it was just more about them saying the house is alive and that like a parasite or something that attached to the crane family and it just wanted to like feed on them and uh use them as like a way to pleasure itself i guess yeah and um they didn't really reveal why though the house was like that you know like the history uh, i mean they revealed some of the history but they didn't really reveal like who was behind you know what forces were behind it Right. And stuff like that. So I kind of felt like there were a lot of questions that weren't answered. And it was kind of, I mean, I see why the writers did it, because they were kind of making it about the family story. 
and they reunited um, the family on good terms, kind of by the the end of the season, because you know everybody was kind of fighting and stuff. Um, so I guess they wanted you know the father to make amends with uh, his wife who had passed long ago, and you know the son. Uh, I think it was Steve was at odds with the father, and and then they had. Um, uh, Nell and Luke, I think it was. Yeah. The twins. Um, who I thought, you know, they killed Nell kind of early on in the season, but I thought that Luke was going to die for sure um, when he accidentally, like, took that poison. But yeah. uh, they ended up, you know, saving him, which I was happy about. But yeah. I think they just wanted to kind of make it more about the family coming to peace with each other and giving them like a resolution. And I guess I was thinking it was going to be more like a classic, you know, haunting tale where they reveal like more about the house. And I just felt like by the end of it all, because it kind of ended happy in some ways. Yeah. I kind of felt like it had somewhat of a happy ending, even though it was a little twisted how the father died and, um, they were kind of like damned to be at that house forever, I guess was what was implied um, because he walked off with the, um, the mother, his wife. And now, yeah. 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 So, um, but I, I, I was thinking it kind of caught me off guard. I was looking for more of like a horror type ending. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that kind of leaves it open to season two because the creators of the show said that the crane family story is done. Like, they're not coming back, so maybe season two will give us more, like, the backstory of why the house is the way that it is. Yeah. And, I don't know, maybe maybe the Cranes will still have, like, some cameos in there, like, the, the spirit forms of them and stuff, but um, as Dude. far as as far as their storyline, they're not coming back for season two, so. Is it, uh, do you know if it's going to be about Hill House, or is it going to be, like, an anthology where it moves on to something completely new? I think it's still, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on it. Um, they haven't released too much information. I think it still takes place in Hill House, but it's going to be a different story. So I would guess it's a different time period. So I may- see. So maybe it's the story of um, whatever the family was that was in there. Uh, I forget their name, but the the tall man that like puts himself in the wall and then the creepy mom and all of them. So maybe it's their story, or maybe it's even predating that. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, because I wondered that, that, now that you mentioned the tall man, I wondered who that guy was. Well, he's they didn't the, really he, explain. He's the, uh, he was supposed to be the husband of the, I think her name was like Poppy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and, I, I and, know who you're talking about. And he was that body that they found in that wall when they were like doing oh, work in the basement. When they heard the scratching noises and stuff. Yeah, I think so, if I remember correctly. But I, I just remember they tear out the wall in the basement and there's like a skeleton in there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what they do with season two, um, because I do think it was good, and I like the actors in it. I thought they did a good job, and um, I think it definitely has a lot of life and left, you know, where they can tell a good story. Yeah. Cool. So before we dive too deep into... Um, the reason you're on the show today, the House of Horror podcast. Before we dive too deep into that, you are a very big fan of the show Night Rider, and you actually yeah. have a replica of the car. 
Um, so kind of just tell me a little bit about how you got into Knight Rider, why you wanted a car, and what all went into making it as real as it could be. Well, uh, my brothers and I grew up watching Knight Rider. Uh, my oldest brother, Jason, he was actually the first one to get hooked on it because he's like seven years older than me. And when the show first came out, I think he was like four or five years old. So he started watching it as a kid. Well, when I was born in 85, the show was almost over because it ended in 86. Uh, but of course, they reran it. And he had taped like a whole bunch of it on VHS. So I think we had like the whole entire fourth season on tape. Mm-hmm. So we would constantly watch those as kids. And um, that's kind of how I got introduced to it because Jason and then Daniel and I, my other brother, Daniel, he um, he was also a big fan. So it was just one of those things that we all kind of bonded over as a kid. Um, and I just really liked the car in it. And I liked, you know, the show overall. So then... I had no idea that people were building these cars. You know, I had no clue that there was vendors out there that made all these fiberglass parts that you can add onto the car. Well, like in 2001, when I was 15, 16, something like that, I was just like on the internet and I stumbled across this um, Knight Rider Nationals in Dayton, which is Dayton's like, you know, an hour and a half from where I live in Powell. And then I realized, oh, wait, people are building these cars. So then I started to look into it, and I hadn't got my first car yet. So for my first car, I decided, well, why not get like a Trans Am or a Firebird? And I can eventually turn it into Kit, the car from Knight Rider. Because you just replace the front end, swap the bumper out, and, you know, you got to make sure it's the right color. It should be black and... What I ended up finding was a 1990 white uh, Pontiac Firebird. And, you know, I had to fix the ground effects. I had to take those off because to be, you know, accurate to the show, I had to make a lot of cosmetic changes. Like completely swap the rear bumper and um, I had to take those ground effects off and uh, put the new Knight Rider bumper on and the cow induction hood that's on the V8 model Trans Am. Um, I had to put that on and because the third generation firebirds and trans ams are both the same body style it didn't like the parts are all interchangeable so it didn't matter that i got a firebird rather than a trans am because i was able to take trans am parts and turn my firebird into essentially what is a trans am like when you look at my car you wouldn't know that that's not a trans am you know it's a firebird but it looks exactly like a trans am So the exterior of the car looked exactly like Kit by 2009. And then um, what I had done recently was I had it um, a paint correction done to remove like the swirl marks and the scratches, uh, minor imperfections that accumulate when people like improperly wash the car and just accidents happen and stuff. So like paint marring and all that. They did a multi-stage paint correction which means it corrects about 95% of the imperfections. Um, it's, it's next to impossible to get a black car, like exactly perfect. Yeah. Unless you have it like in a glass box, you know, in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, which, you know, kind of defeats the purpose of enjoying it. And I also had like the ex or the uh, interior 
refashioned, so like digital gauges and um, I had a new steering wheel and a um, radio touchscreen put in. I had thought about going the Knight Rider dash route, which is authentic to the show. But, you know, I'm, I'm friends with so many uh, Knight Rider conversionists that I just wanted to do something different, you know, because yeah. I've been in the hobby like 20 years almost. And um, I just wanted my car to be unique and I wanted to like modernize it. The Knight Rider dash stands on its own. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. But um, this was cheaper, too, of course. You know, this was probably like $5,000 cheaper. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't realize you were doing this for like 20 years practically. I thought this was not like a recent thing, but I didn't think it was like a 20 year kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it started in, I guess it's not exactly 20. It's like, yeah, but almost. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like 2002. So yeah, it is a long time. It's like half my life. Yeah. I'm 33. So pretty much half my life I've been doing it, which is weird. Cause you know, it just doesn't seem like that. It seems like yesterday when I got the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I just wanted to make it unique, so I went with the different dash, and um, it looks so good that, you know, I haven't got any criticism for it, you know, by the purists that, you know, want, want accuracy. Yeah. I guess they just think it looks cool and everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what I did with my car, and, and I really enjoy it, and um, I'm just, I've always been in the cars, so I wanted to do one that's unique. Yeah. And that's why I decided to do Kit. Yeah, so Knight Rider, obviously a thing you got into at a very young age. Um, and I'm assuming you kind of got into horror and the supernatural at a young age as well. Is that correct? Yeah, you know what drew me into that was, um, well, some personal stories I had heard from family members like my mom about her experiences with the supernatural and paranormal. Uh, but... Uh, from a media perspective, what got me into that was Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Yeah. Because I used to watch that show, and I always used to love it when they did the ghost stories and the UFOs and the supernatural stuff. Um, and then I would watch X-Files, um, and I would just watch, you know, like Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction uh, with Jonathan Frakes. And I think James Brolin hosted it for a while. So I'd watch all those shows like when I was growing up and that's just kind of how I got drawn into it. And then I'd go to the library and I'd read books about hauntings or UFOs and it was just something that really fascinated me. So I, um, I just kept reading up on watching everything and I learned about the different types of hauntings. Like you got residual hauntings, which are like, they're like a playback, you know, you see, an event from history or the past happen. And it's not something that's aware of you. It's not conscious. It's just like watching something unfold from the past. Uh, it's just, you know, like turn on a, a movie and watching a scene from it. You can't interact with it and can't change it. It's just there. That's like a residual haunting. And then they have the interactive personalities. Those are the conscious beings that, um, you know, that can talk to you or they can make you aware that they're there by making a scent like perfume or smoke or whatever. And, um, I learned about like all the different stuff, um, the types of entities that, um, 
like supernatural investigators run across, like whether they're human or non-human or elemental. Um, a lot of people believe spirits are deceased people, you know, that once lived and some entities they might believe are what are the non-humans or elementals or the demonic. Um, so I just like got into reading up on all that and even I, I read up on stuff before, like different religions and the occult. Um, just like everything the world has to offer when it comes supernatural. Yeah. It just, I find it all like fascinating and interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so when people say that they have these like supernatural experiences, like they're haunted by ghosts and stuff, is it haunted by ghosts? Or like I had heard that like a ghost is never going to interact with you. So ghosts are kind of more like the the ones that you experience, and if you're actually having contact with them and they're trying to reach you, it's more of a demonic presence. Is there any validity to that, or is that just internet spec speculation? Well, there's different theories about um, how one can interact with ghosts. Um, I personally believe that, you know, a lot of hauntings are the conscious ones, the interactive personalities. Um, I think one thing that you might have run across before is um, when you talk about that is poltergeists. Poltergeists are, think of them as like the Tasmanian devil spirits. <laughs> the, and what I mean by that is they're just, they're, the, they're really wild ones, you know, like the Tasmanian devil and Looney Tunes. They're the ones that are really um, hyper, so to speak, or they're the ones that throw stuff or, you know, make pictures fall. But some people believe that Portergeist are like an entity that can attach to a person. So the mood of the person might affect the portergeist, almost like they're one together. So like if the person's in a bad mood, they might be able to work up the energy subconsciously to make a picture fall, so to speak. You know, they might not realize they're even doing it. And they probably wouldn't, because they probably wouldn't even know that this, this spirit or entity is attached to them. And the poltergeist, you know, some people believe are like that. Some people believe that they're just standalone entities that, you know, haunt a house and they like to be mischievous and cause problems. And they're the ones that are kind of, um, you know, the most dangerous to be around. Um, I think that, I think that when a ghost reaches out to you, you said that maybe it, you read that it could be demonic. I mean, I personally think that most uh, entities that one might encounter are probably the elemental or non-humans, which would fall into, like, the demonic category. Um, I just, I don't think that ghosts are deceased people. I think it's possible. But after everything I've researched and... Um, you know, just personal convictions or beliefs. I just think that it's probably not the case. You know, I've had personal experiences and um, none of the ones, well, let me tell you this, none of the personal experiences I've had would fall into the, oh, that was a dead person that I once knew or that somebody that lived on earth. It was some, it was some other entity, whether it was demonic or not. It was not of a human. It was of yeah, something exactly. different. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't somebody that once lived. So, like, from 
personal experience, I can't say I've ever encountered a deceased spirit that was human. Um, but that's just me. You know, a lot of people believe certain things and they got good points. It's possible that some of them are human beings. Um, I just tend to think it's probably not the case. Um, it just depends on too the form of the spirit, you know, whether it's full body apparitions, orbs, uh, mist, um, you know, like I said, some of them come in the form of scents, like the perfume or smoke or some sort of smell, or even temperature fluctuations. Um, or they might drain electricity, you know, like you see on those ghost shows all the time. A battery will go dead in the camera, or a cold spot will manifest. Um, so, I mean, there's different types of, like, uh, entities that kind of manifest themselves in different ways but that's just like my personal beliefs and i got some stories like that i can share with you that you know to back up yeah well let's just dive right in i know you have a ton of experiences um with you um some family members things of that nature that you've told me about in the past um so let's just kind of dive right in and uh start telling me some of your experiences with the uh the unknown. Okay. Um, I'd say one of the most profound ones, um, it, it's kind of a complex story, but once you reach the end of it, you kind of understand like why it's profound. Um, so I was talking to this guy that I work with and his name uh, was Larry. And we were talking about the temple Mount in Israel and the temple Mount is kind of been a controversial place because uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians are always fighting over that land because it holds spiritual significance to each side. So they kind of want to claim it as their own, both sides. So we were just talking about how that pertains to religion and, you know, how they were just fighting. So then the next day, the very next night, I was over at my mom's house and, you know, I was there alone and, um, what ended up happening was I heard this weird, like almost like a cranky noise. It was kind of strange. Like I was just in the, the room, the living room and I heard this like weird, like pricky cranky noise. So then I just thought it was the cat. So I didn't think anything of it really. So then, you know, like five, ten minutes passes by, and all of a sudden this, like, thunderous crash just, like, catches me off guard. So I look over, and a big picture just came tumbling down and smashed on the floor, and glass shattered everywhere. So I went over, and I looked, and wouldn't you know, it was a picture of the Temple Mount, because my mom has a picture in her house of, you know, Israel with the Temple Mount, or Jerusalem. Um, so the whole entire picture shattered, glass was everywhere. The picture itself didn't get damaged at all. So then I started to film because I thought, that's really weird, because I was just talking about the Temple Mount with my friend yesterday. So then that what was weird is I went back to the laundry room, and that other noise I had heard five, ten minutes prior, that cranky, weird noise I was telling you about 
well, there's this light fixture up on the ceiling and it's held together by like five, six screws. Mm-hmm. Well, the crank was that the screws were coming loose. You know, I, like the screws were coming loose and it was hanging. It was dangling like because like only three of the five had been removed. Uh, so it wasn't completely falling, but it was had it gone unnoticed, it probably would have. Well, it was still being held in place by those two, but it was just hanging, like, you know, like it was just hanging there, which was weird because that was five, ten minutes prior to the picture falling. So there was no, like, earthquake or, like, natural event that I can say, oh, the house shook and all this crap happened. Like, I can't really find a good reason why a couple screws would have come undone, caused the light to hang, and then five minutes later, in a separate room of the house, a picture just comes crashing down. A picture that also had been hanging there, goodness, for at least 10 years. That picture had not moved at all, like, probably in 10 years. So, and, you know, a 10-minute period, both these weird things happen. And I just thought that was really bizarre especially because it was, you know, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And then, like, what was weird, too, is a week after this incident, um, something big happened with the Temple Mount in the news. Um, The UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, Mm. they were working with the United States to try to formalize you know, who should be recognized as the rightful owner of that Temple Mount land. And they sided with the Palestinians. So the the Jewish um, Israelis and their, like, heritage and all that was kind of, like, snubbed. Um, so I just thought that was weird how it was just, just all these events happening in, like, a week and a half period. And yeah. somehow I, I was personally, like, witnessing what seemed to be supernatural, you know, it was just a bizarre story. Like, yeah. And, how and many- then a year later, well, a year later is when Jerusalem was, um, it was recognized as the capital of Israel. This, oh, so okay. this was in, I should have said this was in 2016 okay. of October when all these events happened with me. And then in 2017, a year later is when uh, Jerusalem was recognized as the capital of Israel. Yeah. So, so that, that was one of my stories. Um, and it, the, one of the reasons I thought it was supernatural to begin with was because stuff's happened in this house. This is my mom's house. Um, we, I've heard what are classified as doppelganger spirits. And the reason they call them that is because they mimic someone who is living, either in the form of a full-body apparition or voice. So my mom has heard me when I'm not there. She's heard my brother when I'm not there. And I have heard her when she's not there. There was one time that she was, I was here at the house, and she said goodbye, walked out the door, closed the door, it was all the way out to her car, and I heard her say goodbye again. The same exact, like, 
tone, everything. Huh. But she was long gone. It was like it repeated exactly what she said, like right down to the perfect tone. Um, and she's heard, you know, me, like I said, when I'm not there, my brother. And there was one time that was crazy. Um, it was around Christmas time. I think this was in, I think this was in 2016 too. Yeah, this was a couple months after the whole um, Temple Mount thing I was telling you about. So we were, I was on vacation and I was going to go to the um, Fantasy of Lights exhibit with my mom and dad. So earlier in the day, my mom heard my brother, his voice in the laundry room, but he wasn't there. He was not even at the house. And then, so we went out to get in the car to leave and go to the fancy lights, but the starter quit and the starter was dead, which is just, uh, you know, you got to replace the starter when that happens. It wouldn't turn over. So it's like, okay, we called my dad and had him come over. So we'll just use his car to go to the fancy lights. So we go to fancy lights in his car we go through it and then we go to what's Santa's shop afterwards. It's just like where you can get like hot chocolate and cookies and stuff. So then we come back out from Nat. We get in his car and you probably know what's going to happen next. His starter's dead. <laughs> Same exact thing. Like his car won't start either now. Wouldn't turn over anything. So it's weird how two separate cars just quit working same exact diagnosis as starters. And on top of that, you know, that weird voice was heard like right before all this stuff started. Um, so that's one of the reasons when I think back on stories like the Temple Mount, that it, it adds like credence to, you know, the belief that it could have been supernatural because, um, you know, you have all this stuff going on in this house. It's really bizarre. Yeah. So with that one, do you think that anything brought it on? Because you said with the Temple Mount thing, you were talking about it at work. Um, but was there anything, to your knowledge, that would have brought the voices and the cars not to start? Or was that just sort of just out of nowhere? Well, what's weird is, like, there was a connection with the Temple Mount. Because I don't know if, if it was an entity, if they were just saying, hey, I'm listening and just making that known. I heard what you were talking about. Or I don't know if it was like an omen of things to come. Like, you know, like I said, a week after that, a week and a half after that is when the UNESCO in the United States, you know, made that formal declaration about the Temple Mount land. Um, as with the car and the starters, that was just random. Like, just one day it happened. I don't know why. Yeah. But there is kind of ties to the um, the Temple Mount story. Um, I have had some what I would call um, inconclusive supernatural events, and I, the reason I said they're inconclusive is because I was in a twilight state of mind when they happened. I was half asleep, and they were like where I was being strangled. So I'd hear a voice, and all of a sudden I'd feel like I was being strangled. And one of the times I, I felt this, like, I put my, I was, I thought for sure I was awake. 
but I was just like, kind of like in that state of mind where you're just waking up. I had my eyes closed though. And I put my hand out and I felt like what felt like human hair, like long human hair, like a woman. And I thought at first it was the cat because this was when I was young and, and I was at my mom's house when I was, and I thought it was the cat. So then as soon as I felt that hair, all of a sudden hands go around my neck and I'm feel like I'm being strangled. So that one was so like realistic feeling that I jumped out of bed literally and like freaked out and ran out. And then I had another one like that where it was just like this deep, um, demonic sounding voice. Um, and it's, and then it just like, like the, the hands went around my neck again. And those were the two inconclusive ones. Cause I can't really say for sure that, you know, cause I was like half asleep. So I can't really know for sure whether that was just a dream or if there was anything to that. Um, yeah. It could be just chopped up to a night terror or something like that. But again, I mean, you never know. And then what is bringing on these feelings, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I just know that like the family history, my mom's seen full body apparitions, um, at her house growing up she grew up down in a victorian village in columbus and um she's seen you know several ghosts and then at my dad's uh, current house she had seen a ghost and like these were you know unmistakable like where she looked at it and it was there and wasn't just like a blink of an eye thing. It was like, oh, she watched it for 10 seconds before it disappeared. Um, Did she share what they looked like? Was it like a humanoid looking thing? Um, was it wearing like period clothing? You said it was in like an old colonial town. Like what, what did these apparitions look like? Well, the first one, uh, when she was a kid, she woke up like at 2, 3 in the morning. And this old woman was watching her. And uh, I believe she said it was her aunt. Yeah, I think it was her aunt. It was definitely um, somebody in their family because she asked her mother about it the next morning. And her mother said, oh, yeah, that's your aunt or whoever it was. And she was in, like, the, you know, period clothing for what probably would have been 20 years prior to that. Okay. Because she had passed. And um, the one she saw at my dad's house he was just in like a white shirt and what looked like jeans or jean looking pants. And he was just staring and they were see-through, you know how ghosts are transparent where you can kind of see through them. Um, they were like that, all of them. And then she saw one, um, when we lived in Pataskala for a few years, my stepdad at the time, he saw this spirit too. And claimed it was somebody from back in the woods. That he didn't know exactly what the origin story was of the ghost. But he just said that he had heard it. Something went back down back in the woods long ago. And that the spirit was tied to that. Well, he saw it. And my mom saw it. I never saw it. I've never once seen a ghost. I've just heard, you know, the voices. Um, and I've like... In my dad's house, the same house where my mom saw the, the full body apparition, we used to hear like faucets turn on in the upstairs, and that's where she saw the ghost upstairs. And like late at night, we'd hear like 
someone walk past you, like brush by you. Yeah. But I never dared look like there was one time I, it was like probably one in the morning and I was just laying there facing against the wall because the bed was against the wall. Somebody walked right past me and I knew it wasn't um, anybody else because nobody else was around there. You know, they were all asleep in other rooms and stuff. But I didn't look because I was afraid of what I'd see. Yeah. So I've never I've never seen one. I've just heard stuff and witnessed, you know, stuff like pictures falling and and just odd, you know, things going on like that. Yeah. Um, so when your mother and other family members have seen these things, did they get overcome with like feelings of fear? Or like I know in some cases when people see like spirits of past loved ones who've passed away and stuff. It's more of like a warm, like comforting feeling. Like, do you, did she share with you how she kind of felt in those moments? Um, I believe all of them was, they were neutral. Um, she didn't feel the warmth or fear. It was just kind of like it was there and it didn't emit like any evil feelings but it also didn't emit any peaceful feelings um and that one i forgot to say that one that she saw as a kid down in victorian village that house her mom had seen that one too so um these entities had been seen by you know multiple family members um the only one that had been backed up was the one at my dad's house. Nobody else had ever seen that one. Um, but the theory was, you know, that the upstairs of my dad's used to be rented out by, uh, I believe it was our aunt, because she used to live there before my dad. So there was just a lot of different people living up there, and who knows who it was. Um, but yeah, there was no, like, feelings associated with it, just neutral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. any other stories that you have? I know, I know I have a few more things on my list, but did you have any other Well, ones? I have had, I have had, um, two different stories of what I'd call UFO sightings. Okay. Um, the first one happened down in Stone Mountain Park in Georgia, near Atlanta. And there was this ball of light up in the sky, just sitting there. And it was at nighttime and, um, it caught my eye. Cause I was like, that just looks weird. So then it's just sitting there and then all of a sudden it streaks off. It what must've been like a thousand miles an hour, literally. Cause it just streaked off so quickly that it looked like it just vanished after, you know, maybe a few seconds of streaking off kind of like a shooting star, but it was sitting still and then it streaked off. So then like a couple minutes passed and we saw a few helicopters flying up in the same vicinity. Like they were looking for whatever that was. Um, that's the first one. The second one happened probably around 2001. Um, and that was when we were on our way home from church, my mom and brother and me. And I looked up in the sky when we were driving because I was sitting in the back seat and it was like at probably 1230 in the afternoon. And I saw the classic looking silver metallic disc, 
you know, the classic UFO. Yeah. And the sun was shining on it. It was reflecting. Uh, so that's why I thought it was metallic. Um, and then it started to like slowly become more and more transparent. Like you could start to see through it. And after about 30 seconds, it just completely vanished. Yeah. Um, and it was going slow. It wasn't like moving fast or anything. So that those are my two UFO stories. So I believe in, you know, UFOs too. I don't know that they're extraterrestrial. Um, but I know, you know, a lot of friends and other family members, like my uncle. And my uncle's like, he's a guy that would never lie. And he has like this UFO story about how, you know, he pulled over on the side of the highway because there was this huge, like, craft lifting off that looked like a house. Uh-huh. And other people were stopping, too. And this guy, like, would not lie because he's just, like, a hardcore, devout religious guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I believe that. Um, I don't know what they are, though. I, I can't say they're extraterrestrial. I just think people see these things. There's something to it. Uh, I can't say for sure what it is though are you open to the idea of them being from other planets or is that completely ruled out in your book or do you believe that that is a possibility i think it's possible um it's possible that they're extraterrestrial ebes you know extraterrestrial biological entities or they could be um interdimensional beings that's what i that's That's what I was going to bring up, because I had heard that recently, that the UFOs, in the sense that we know UFOs, don't come from other planets. It's more of an interdimensional sort of like portal, where they can come in and go whenever they want, and then that's why when people see these things, they seem to disappear almost instantly, because they realize that they've been caught. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, I've heard similar theories, um, and that very well could be true. Um, it could be that they don't want to be seen, um, and like you said, you know, that's why when they're caught, they vanish. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the time travel theory. I've not heard the time travel theory, but I would like to. <laughs> yeah, what it is is basically if you believe in evolution, you got to ask yourself, what will human beings look like? say, a million, two million, even 60 million years from now. Because if you believe in evolution, you believe that dinosaurs existed, you know, 65 million years ago, all that stuff. Well, what would humans become 60 million years from now? Well, that's the theory, that these gray beings, which are aliens, or whatever they look like, they're us from the future. And who knows, maybe by 60 million years from now, they're dying off. Something's missing from their genes. So they come back in time, abduct humans to try to extract that missing gene or whatever it is that they're lacking. And that's why they do all these, you know, experiments on humans because they're trying to fix themselves, which were the, you know, the young version of them essentially because they're an evolved version of us. So the theory is, is that they come back in time and they experiment on the human beings, you know, to try to fix themselves or whatever. 
you know, a lot of the people that get abducted claim that the type of experiments that are done on them are reproductive or, you know, like harvesting, like where they're creating, you know, hybrids where they're half human, half extraterrestrial, or they're making the person essentially mate with an alien or they're just extracting things that try to create these different types of beings. So the, the people that believe that theory would say that they're trying to survive these future versions of us. And that's why they do these things. Or if you believe they are extraterrestrial, you could say the same thing that something's wrong with them and they're trying to survive. So they're using us to try to fix their own DNA or genes or health issues, whatever it may be. And then some people believe that aliens aren't even uh, biologically living creatures. Some believe that they're robotic hmm. because a lot of people that are abducted claim that a lot of these entities, usually the greys, those are the ones that uh, they're like four feet tall and they got the big black eyes, kind of look insect-like. Um, they're usually seen as genderless because there no no sexual organs can be seen so they can't really identify them as male or female so that would add uh, validity to the the robot theory because you know that would explain why they're neither male or female and scientists you know say if extraterrestrials were traveling to the earth there's a good chance that they probably would be robotic because what do we do? We send robots to Mars right? Out, out to Jupiter and Saturn in the form of probes or rovers. So, you know, it's more practical to explore the universe with something that doesn't need food, water, and the necessities of life to survive. A robot can go forever and ever and ever compared to a human. And it's just more practical to have them do the exploration of the universe. So one could say that maybe the greys or whatever beings are visiting Earth are actually not even living. They were built by somebody else. Like maybe the, the aliens who built them don't look anything like the greys. It's possible. I mean, yeah, we don't really know what they truly look like. I mean, we don't know if they are extraterrestrial interdimensional or time travel which of the which of the theories that you talked about you kind of already ruled out extraterrestrial but out of the interdimensional and time traveling which one of those do you think is the more plausible i'd say interdimensional because i think that ufos ghosts and all these uh supernatural things i think they all kind of um i think they're all just supernatural you know i don't think that they're extraterrestrials or deceased people per se. I think that they're probably us seeing, you know, the spiritual realm and there's different reasons. Uh, there's different schools of thought as to why the spiritual realm wants you to see aliens, um, and ghosts and, uh, different, you know, creatures like Bigfoot, even the Mothman. Um, one of the schools of thought is that if you believe in uh, religion, like Christianity, 
one of the theories is that the spiritual realm, being demonic, wants you to believe that ghosts are dead people because that contradicts scripture, what the Bible teaches, you know, about heaven and hell and all that. Um, or they might want you to believe that aliens exist because that that means that humans seem less important because if the cosmos has aliens out there, then you have to conclude that aliens must be everywhere because if even one different species is found, then that means that it's likely that there's tons and tons and tons of different species that no longer makes humans special, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so the people that believe um, that spiritual realm uh, wants to deceive people, essentially. They want you to believe ghosts or dead people or aliens exist or all these different things because it flies in the face of the scriptures. Right. So, um, what do you think, because you brought this up a little bit, but what do you think of the people who believe that creatures like Bigfoot or the Mothman are more supernatural or interdimensional as opposed to those that think they're more biological? Like, which one of those camps do you kind of fall into? And uh, obviously, um, one of the things on our agenda today is to talk about your search for the Mothman. Um, so kind of just uh, tell me how you feel about these supernatural creatures. and Well, all day, any day of the week, I would say it's much more likely that Mothman, Bigfoot, Mantis Man, or whatever creature you're talking about is supernatural because nobody has a carcass to prove otherwise. You know, if there's these Bigfoots out there, or Mothman, or um, a mantis man, or whatever. You would think somebody would have had a body by now. And notice how they always seem to vanish just as quickly as they came. Well, that would lead somebody to believe that it literally vanished, like, like a spirit. So I think that a lot of the behavioral aspects of these creatures can be backed up with the supernatural theory. Uh, it's kind of like... They're monsters because, you know, the mantis man is like a praying mantis, but it's like eight feet tall. And yeah. then you have the um, the moth man who's uh, got like a 10 foot wingspan and he's like seven feet tall and he's got the red glowing eyes and he kind of looks like an owl or, you know, a moth, I guess. And the Bigfoots, of course are really intimidating because very tall, big feet, um, really powerful. But I think that they're more likely supernatural just because, you know, they're not ever found, you know? Right. But I, I know some of the people that are on the more, like, biological side of the thing, they'll say, oh, they bury their dead, um, it could be, there could be possible, like, cannibalism going on, um, and then there's just, like, the theory, like, how often do you see, like, a dead bear carcass in the woods? It's, like, it's not very often that you see that either, so. That, that's true, um, there are a lot of pictures of bears, though, but, but you bring up a good point, because it could be that 
that the there's just not a lot of them you know what i mean if they're a rare species where there's literally only hundreds of them for some reason um you know pseudoscientists they might say that that these creatures are supernatural or even alien like that aliens brought them here and that there's that's why there's not a lot of them right you know because if they are real if they're not supernatural then you got the problem of explaining, well, why isn't there that many of them? Because look at all the other species on Earth, even the endangered ones. There's a lot of them. I mean, even the ones where there's not a whole bunch of them where they're endangered, there's enough that there's a pattern, you know what I mean? Right. So, like, with Bigfoot, I mean, the way it goes, you'd think there's only a couple hundred on the, the face of the Earth because they're so elusive. And that's a problem for the uh, flesh and blood biological creature theory. Um, because if it's a species that hasn't been discovered yet, then there just must not be that many of them. Because a lot of the Earth's been explored, and I feel like it's been explored enough that somebody would have got a pretty good picture by now, not some, like, grainy. Right. You know, picture of a guy walking by and looking over or you know in a in a suit (laughs) especially if you're out there looking for them it's hard to fathom that there hasn't been a good picture because like you'd be prepared for it but like a lot of the ones we see it like the footage and stuff it's grainy and stuff because the people necessarily aren't expecting it and i mean these things are probably pretty quick i mean i can tell you from first-hand experience like trying to get a good picture of my cat or something by the time you get your phone out and ready to go it's like halfway across the room and it's all blurry and stuff you know yeah well that's a good point you know nobody's ever expecting to see a bigfoot or ghost or ufo so you go to get that phone and it's going to be blurry and crappy quality um but but that's also a good point you bring up because in this day and age everybody has a phone on them at all times pretty much and what's that phone got? It's got a camera. So everybody's got pretty much a camera ready to go at all times nowadays, or even a video camera. So you would think that sightings would be on an increase right now because there's more cameras out there. Right. And I don't know that they really have been. That's not something I've really looked into. But that'd be an interesting uh, study or to see how that correlates with... Um, you know, the inclusion of phones into society in the last 10, 15 years where everybody's got a smartphone now, which has a camera equipped on it. There should be more sightings and better quality sightings. Right. Um, So I think everyone who sort of believes in Bigfoot or wants to believe in Bigfoot, they kind of agree that it is a sort of a species instead of just one entity. Because, I mean, they're seen all over the place. The Pacific Northwest, I mean, we see them here in Ohio. Um, when I was in Puerto Rico, there's allegedly a Puerto Rican Bigfoot in some of the rainforests. But is the Mothman, is that more recognized as one singular entity? Well, there's been a lot of Mothman sightings around the world. And a lot of people believe the Mothman is a supernatural being because it's associated with things to come, usually like an omen. Um, Back when the original Mothman sightings occurred, um, it was in November of 1966, 
um, and it spanned to December of 67. So it was like a 13-month period when in Point Pleasant, people first started seeing this creature. And they believed that he was an omen because the climax of the story, the believers say, centers around the Silver Bridge that collapsed, I believe, on like December 15th of 67. So some claim they saw the Mothman flying around the bridge that night. Um, and they say that he was like a warning that that was going to happen because Point Pleasant was kind of a small little town and a lot of people died in that tragedy. Um, but do I think he's an omen or a supernatural being? I think that the Mothman probably is because he's, he's just, he's got the red glowing eyes and it just seems like, you know, he's 10 foot wingspan, seven feet tall. And there again, you know, you can't prove that he's flesh and blood. Now there's no body, but, but then if he is real, why isn't there, you know, a whole bunch of them? Why is it just one, you know, um, some, some say, well, he's gotta be like supernatural because, one eyewitness said he flew at like a hundred miles an hour. Right. When they, they were chasing they ran, the car. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, that's a good point. Cause he kept up with the car, but then I thought about it and there's other creatures that are birds that actually can fly really fast. Like the peregrine Falcon. It's been clocked at 242 miles per hour. Oh, really? Yeah, because when it's diving to go in for prey, it's assisted by gravity, and it ends up reaching up to 242. And even the Golden Eagle, um, it's been clocked at 150 to 200 mile an hour speeds. So the idea of a winged creature reaching those amounts of speeds, um, it's not really as bizarre as one might think. Right. It seems like it. But then when you, you research it, like, well, that's well, not exactly abnormal. Right. But the, the question would be, how long was he going 100 mile an hour? Was he, like, trailing them for 10 minutes going 100? Or was it just, you know, he ended up reaching 100? Because my guess would be that when the, the Peregrine Falcon or the Golden Eagle reach those speeds, they, they don't maintain them. It's just... right. And do we know, because I mean, you've gone, you've been to these areas, are these areas like, is it downhill or is it more like a straight shot? Because as you said, like these can reach these top speeds and when they're in sort of a diving motion. Well, I, I went to Point Pleasant and I believe it was 2017 of the fall. Um, and I did trace the route of where that sighting occurred next to the, um, the billboard they said he was like sitting up on a billboard and they spooked him or something. And then they, they ran from him and he was flying behind him, chasing him. Um, it kind of had a downhill motion, but it wasn't like a really steep, you know, diving motion. Um, and I went to the TNT area in Point Pleasant because some people believe that the creature is flesh and blood and it's like mutated. Like some might think it's the sandhill crane, 
because that's a type of crane that's been seen around uh, Point Pleasant, and it's like four or five feet tall, and it's got like patches of red around its eyes. Um, so some people think, oh, you're, these people are just seeing a sandhill crane. But then, you know, the other people say, well, no, because it was, you know, seven feet tall and it had 10-foot wingspan. It had the red million eyes. Um, so I didn't feel like, though, that that the routes were, like, going downhill or anything. It was just pretty, pretty even. And were you down there searching for the Mothman, or were you down there just kind of checking out the area out of curiosity's sake, or were you hoping to find something? I never thought I'd see anything, but I went up there because I was always interested in, you know, Point Pleasant after seeing the Mothman Prophecies movie. Um, and I, it wasn't that far from where I live. It's like two and a half hours away. So I just went up there to go to the museum they have. And it was like a week after they had the, uh, the festival. festival. Yeah. Yeah. And they said like 10,000 people like came to that festival. So it's like really popular. Oh yeah. yeah it's, it's a big festival. Yeah. I went, uh, last year we went. Yeah. So did you take the, the tour of the. We couldn't, we couldn't get into the tour. It was already booked up because we didn't, we didn't do anything in advance. We were just like, all right, we're just going to show up. It's on this Saturday. Like we didn't realize you had to book those like bus tours, like months in advance. And I mean, for the festival, it's kind of closed off to the public. So you can't just kind of go down there. It's kind of, you have to be on one of the tours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed the museum cause they had like newspaper clippings and they had original eyewitness sketches, and they had things about uh, John Keel and Mary Heyer. Um, they were the original investigators. They're kind of like the ones that uh, the movie Mothman Prophecies was, um, they were based off of. And um, they, they, of course, they didn't portray that story entirely accurately in the movie. They modernized it and changed some of the names and stuff, but the basic ideas were there. But that museum was really cool. Um, I just got to see all the original stuff about it and learn about what exactly supposedly went down over those 13 months. I mean, there was like UFO sightings and the men in black sightings, supposedly. Um, just all sorts of supernatural type stuff. Right. It's pretty sensational, though. I mean, I got to admit, I'm reading that stuff very skeptically because, you know, this stuff... It's pretty sensational to believe that it all really happened and went down like that. But I think that there is truth that people saw stuff and maybe some of the stories were, you know, glamorized or exaggerated as time went on, right. as a lot of stories are. Um, but a lot of the residents of Point Pleasant swear by these stories. You know, a lot of them are still living that witness these things. So... Um, I don't like to like really say they didn't happen because I wasn't there and who knows, maybe they did. Right. Um, what kind of drew you into the Mothman specifically? Is it just kind of, it was local and it was easy to go check out or was there something that particularly interested you about the Mothman that made you so into it? Well, I saw that movie. Uh, I was first like introduced to the Mothman through that, the Mothman prophecies and, um, then I kind of just started researching the Mothman and, you know, I'd always thought I should go to Point Pleasant cause it's not that far away. So I've, you know, two and a half hours away. 
So I just, you know, thought that'd be a good road trip. So I eventually did it in um, 2017, and I just wanted to see what it was all about. Now, the day after I went there, um, I told my dad, I texted my dad and told him I went to Point Pleasant. He claims that a relative of ours, not a blood relative, like somebody's wife, was on that bridge when it collapsed. And I've been trying to track down the name of that person. And he's, you know, tried to reach out to some relatives. And I haven't been able to figure out their name yet. But he claims that he swears that somebody on that bridge was like a relative of ours. I see. Which I thought was weird because, you know, I didn't know that when I went there. And it's just kind of a small world if that's true. Right. Because there was only like, I believe it was like in maybe 100 or 200 people on the bridge when that happened. Right. And I forget the exact number of fatalities, um, but I know it was, you know, it was, it was tragic and a lot of people died. So, um, I just had no clue. Like, I just want to figure out who that person was and figure out if, if that's accurate. Right. Well, maybe someday you'll be able to track that down. I mean, every, every year, like technology is getting better with like genealogy and stuff. I mean, I mean, you weren't related by blood, but you still might be able to see, this person was married to this person and all that kind of stuff down the line, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, when I went there, um, we went over to silver bridge on the way into town. And I thought that was the one that had fell. And it turns out that the Memorial bridge, they built it like further out from the town. Yeah. I guess the original silver bridge was like, next to that other bridge that's like actually overlooking the murals and stuff because remember all those cool murals they yeah there? yeah down by the water and stuff yeah i think it was i don't know if it's like a mile down the road that the new bridge is but i know it's in between two of them kind of on like that pier like bay area um on the river yeah and so i was mistaken about that because I thought, wow, this is eerie. I'm going over this bridge, and it once fell. But no, it yeah. wasn't because it was in a different location. Yeah. Um, but the, that was my favorite part of that town, I think, was the murals. Yeah. Because uh, they overlooked the river, and it was just so well done. Um, whoever painted those murals did an amazing job. And, yeah. And uh, it kind of, like, captures some of the history of Point Pleasant. Yeah. Uh, dating back, and I think it was a couple hundred years or something. Yeah. You're going to have to go to the festival one of these years. It's crazy. There's a lot of people in costumes walking around, lots of food and uh, crazy merchandise and stuff. I think I showed you the uh, the like poster I saw that was like a painting of someone did the Mothman, but it was with Metallica font, and it was like playing oh. like an electric guitar and stuff. Yeah. So they've got some cool stuff down there. So I'm not sure when it is this year, but sometime you're going to have to go check it out. Definitely. I think it's in September, so it's probably like literally in a week or two from now. Yeah, um, from the time of this recording, yeah. <laughs> you, you just show up, right? You don't have to make reservations, right? No, uh, you'd have to, I mean, if you wanted to go on one of the bus tours, you'd have to do that in advance. But for the rest of it, you kind of just show up, and it's just like a whole town fair. It takes over like the whole town, basically, in, uh, that, okay. yeah. in that, uh, that area where the museum is. Yeah, I think uh, last time they said they had like 10,000 people there or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I don't know exactly how many people were there. I wasn't, I wasn't counting heads, but there were a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there was, um, there was a hotel right across from that museum called, I think, the Low Hotel, 
And I was researching that hotel because supposedly it has a lot of activity in it, like ghost activity. And I went into it and it looks the part, like it looks like a really eerie hotel. And when we went in, I asked one of the workers there and they said, no, no, we don't. But then somebody else was there and they kind of like had this look on their face like, you know, yeah, we do. So I don't know, you know, they didn't want to be recognized for that, I don't think. Yeah. Or maybe that maybe that annoys them. A lot of tourists come into town like, can I stay here in this haunted hotel? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't stay there, but we checked the hotel out just to see what it was like. It, it's not very big, I don't think. It's probably only got like, you know, probably 50 rooms or something. It didn't look that big. Cool. But it's a really old hotel. It's cool. Yeah. I probably should stay there if I do the festival. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Just complete the experience, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. uh, I guess, sort of as we wind down here, did you have any other um, stories of adventures? Did, didn't you go on some sort of ghost thing in Michigan, or was that someone else from work that went to look for stuff up there? No, I haven't had a chance to go. Um, I've wanted to, but I haven't gone up there um, yet. So, but um, like, I will say that I'm excited for um, Halloween, as yeah. I know you are too. Oh, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like all the um, the different movies coming out here soon. Yeah, what what ones are in particular are you looking forward to? Well, it of course, um, Chapter Two, because I like the first one, and um, I think it's got a good cast and everything, and I think the same guy is making it. Yeah. Um, so I think that it, it shows a lot of promise. Um, and I've been watching some horror movies lately. Like I watched the remake of Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the original better, though, from I think it was 89. Because I just, I really liked Fred Quinn's role. Right. Kind of stole the show in that. And he didn't seem like Herman Munster at all. Um he did a really good job with the role and it, it didn't seem like the same guy. Like, and he was much older by then. So it didn't, you know, look like Yeah. Herman. It didn't necessarily look like him. Yeah. Yeah. But he did a really amazing job with that. And I think that's why I liked the original, but I mean, John Lithgow is an awesome actor and he did a good job too, but they didn't like include him as much in it as Fred Wynn was in the original. Um, Gwen was more central to the whole story and stuff. And, in the original movie and the yeah i mean the original is a little more campy yeah yeah it's not as like eerie or scary but not like too much um i mean some of the stuff in that movie is a little bit random um you know like i don't know if you remember it but you had like the the zelda um relative that had like the spinal Deformation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, it's just kind of some of the stuff in those those movies. And I think it was in the original book. It's just kind of like, really like sensational. Yeah. You know, like to try to make it as scary as possible. Um, so I thought that, you know, it was, that adds some of that camp flavor to it, you know. Um, right. Because it's not entirely believable, but. Right. Uh, just because the characters are experiencing all these things that are just 
you know, mind blowing. Yeah. But I, I watched Pet Cemetery 2. <laughs> and you said that was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't even bad in a good way. You know, like sometimes you watch a bad movie and it's entertaining because it's so bad. It wasn't even like that. Like, um, it had um, Edward Furlong in it from Terminator 2. Yeah. And um, I forget what the guy's name was. Um, he was in ER. His name was like not George. Something. Not George Clooney. No, no, definitely not George Clooney. It was like Anthony Edwards, I think, or something like that. Uh, and it was probably early on because that would have been before ER. Yeah. So he was just probably trying to jumpstart his career. So he's like, yeah, I'll plan it. Yeah. But it was weird because it was made by the same director as the first movie, but it had totally different tone to it. You know, the vibe was different, the way it was shot and edited. Yeah. It had like a lot of campy, cheesy 90s music in it. Um, story sucked. Yeah, it just was, <laughs> <laughs> it was just bad. It was like one of those one out of four star movies, Turkey. So yeah. I didn't care for that one. Um, but I still need to, to watch um, some other movies. Like I was going to watch Terrifier. Oh, yeah, with Art the Clown. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that, but I supposedly it's a classic, or some people think it is, at least. Well, I don't know if it can be a classic if it's a year old, but I that's one of the ones, I don't know, like, I went into it extremely overhyped for it, and I knew it wasn't going to be as good as people said it was going to be. I mean, I thought it was fine, but I don't know if in 10 years it's really going to have, like, the staying power that people seem to think that it has, you know? It's a, yeah, yeah, it's not a long, yeah, it's not been out long enough, but isn't it like, um, didn't you say it's like a remake or something? Uh, it's sort of, it's like a pseudo remake, sort of sequel to a short film that the director had made like a couple years prior to that. It was, it was part of an anthology film, so it was just sort of like one segment that they sort of expanded into a uh, full movie. I see, okay. Well, I just saw the way the clown looks, and he looks pretty terrifying, right? So yeah. I thought this movie's probably got to be at least a little disturbing. I hear yeah. it's, like, pretty gory and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty gory, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's kind of like Eli Roth movies. Um, they're pretty gory, like, I think Hostel and then uh, The Green Infernal. Green yeah. Inferno. Um, yeah. That one was pretty bad. I don't, I don't think you said you saw that one, right? I haven't seen either of those, actually, but I'm familiar with both of them, yeah. Yeah, The Green Inferno's got some disturbing scenes in it. Yeah. Um, involving cannibalism and stuff like that. Right. Um, but you know what movie I'm really excited for? And I can't say for sure that it's really a horror movie, but it's the Joker movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see that, too. I'm excited to see how it... uh turns out the way some people are reviewing it almost makes you think that it might be horror like uh given some of the material in it and the way they're exploring a joker character but they're saying that uh joaquin phoenix really does an amazing job and and it's been getting so much hype on social media like eight minute standing ovations at the venice film festival yeah and um just like 87% on Rotten Tomatoes currently. 
it better be a good movie because a lot of people are going to be let down because there's just like a mass push to make people believe this movie's like the an Oscar clad movie. There's been yeah. some some reviewers have even said that like give Joaquin the Oscar right now or that it's <laughs> definitely winning awards. But I think it's made by um, the guy that made Hangover, Todd Phillips or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's made by the same guy, I think. And I was like, to be honest, that kind of made me standoffish initially about the film because how in the world did this guy get that gig? You know, he's he's making comedies like, and um, this movie's like a totally different vibe. Like, it just right. doesn't seem like like it fits him. But evidently, he had a vision for the film, and you know, Joaquin Phoenix is a really gifted actor, so he must have believed in that vision. Right. I mean. I mean, you could use that argument, but I mean, look at Halloween last year. I mean, that was made by the guys that made Pineapple Express. So, oh, okay, I, good point. So, I mean, I guess we won't know until we see it, but... Yeah, and I was really impressed with um, with the Halloween movie last year. I thought they did a great job, and I thought they kept it, you know, very faithful to the original film. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with Halloween Kills, and... What's the other one called? Halloween Ends or something? Yeah, I believe it's Halloween Ends, but who knows if it'll really end. Uh, <laughs> it, it'll never end. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Jared, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. Um, maybe we'll have to have you come on next year, um, share some more stories. I'd like to get Daniel on here, too, talk about his experience oh. on the uh, on the Queen Mary and things of that oh, nature. Yeah. Um, and I know... Yeah, I'm I know sure. I know one of our other uh, friends, Fred, uh, his house is haunted as well. So we might have to sort of have like a, a CBO ghost story special next year uh, oh, on, for sure. on, on the show. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on today. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I've listened to your show and it's, uh, it's really cool to be on it. Um, I never thought I'd be a guest on it, so I'm really like honored. <laughs> I, I really am. Like, I'm not joking. Like, I think... When you asked me to be on, I was like, wow, that's really cool, because I've never been invited on a show as a guest, so, yeah, uh, that's D just really Daniel's cool. Daniel's never had you on his show before? Cheap plug no, because, for uh, uh, Peace, to Peace to Live By? That's the name of the show? Yeah, he's never, I mean, he's done, like, like we're doing where he talks to people and answers questions, but no, I've never been on his show. Usually his show's not, like, formatted like that, but, um... No, I've never, I mean, I've talked on the radio before because I worked in radio before CBO. Um, but, you know, I've never been like a guest, so to speak, on a program like this. So, And you do an amazing job with these podcasts. So Yeah, cool. You're really talented. So Thank you have you. a big future ahead of you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, before, we yeah, before we sign off here, um, if people want to learn more about you or get connected with you, um, do you have like, uh, Twitter, Instagram, anything like that where people can keep up with what you and Kit are doing if there's any Knight Rider fans out there? Yeah, I go by, um, on Instagram, I go by JD Rider one. So that's J D as in dog and then Rider one. And then Facebook, I'm just JD Rider. Um, and then, you know, I got, should I get my email out? 
<laughs> I don't know if you want if you want yeah, people just, sending you emails. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear from your audience. Uh, jdwriter5 at gmail.com. Yeah, so like, if anybody wants to contact me, for sure, um, I'd like to hear from them. Very and cool. I can share experiences or expand on whatever they want to know. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again for doing this, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you're welcome, and thanks for having me on. about it for this time guys i hope you enjoyed another episode of the house of horror podcast i want to thank my good pal juicy jared or as he's known on the internet jd Ryder, for coming on the show with me this week if you want to reach out to him personally he gave out his email and all the social media platforms so you can do it that way let me know if you want to see an episode in the future with some of my other friends telling ghost stories i really want to have his brother daniel on the show someday to talk about the queen mary and my friend fred to talk about his haunted house but yeah i think it would be a really cool idea to just have a compilation episode with a bunch of different ghost stories in it so let me know down in the comments if that's something that you want to see in the future but other than that i will see you back here again next week for another edition of the house of horror podcast that is about it take care you guys and stay spooky